Hello everybody and welcome to the Connected Athlete Podcast number 31. Um, it's me, Barry, uh, again on his own. We're still waiting for Swain to get back from his racing and to get online in his um, house in Andorra. Uh, so hopefully that will be soon. Um, in the meantime, a few changes are happening with the Connected Athlete as those of you who are listening to this would have noticed things like uh, the tier changes and the kind of future ideas about the content um, and I'm gonna kick it off with kind of an ex- let's call it a special edition podcast where relates to a very recent podcast recorded by two professional cyclists um it's called life in the peloton and the guy who records it is a guy called mitch docker who i don't know and have never met um both aussie he's an aussie guy i think um and he interviewed a guy called adam hansen now adam hansen is again another guy i've never met um but i know of because of his I guess his record in the kind of pro cycling world in terms of I think he's gotten up to 20 grand tours um between Tour de France's Giro's and Vuelta um so that in itself is uh you know a lot of experience and also the bits and pieces I've read about him or heard about him is that he applies a kind of an alternative approach let's say and i i always kind of thought he would be a good guy to actually get on the show um and that we would have a lot of similar ideas and similar philosophies if you like about say just endurance athlete um health and nutrition and performance and training you know he's into the kind of cross training um aspects uh, uh you know kind of has some of the similar approaches that swain would have to his um you know to his world of cycling um so yeah uh <laughs> ironically um hadn't kind of thought about contacting him or um hadn't thought about interviewing him until recently there was a podcast recorded with him um and i've posted it up on um the facebook group for the connected athlete there's been comments and discussions on that people are asking me that should i um people have asked me to actually just interview get adam here on the podcast and interviewing him interviewing myself which i had planned on doing and maybe will still do um i did kind of put out a twitter message and i think guy mitch who runs his the podcast got back to me and said yeah we'll you know be sounds good let's get adam on your show um and i have planned on doing that however i'm going to get into it in, in a minute but the point is is that i've nothing against this guy i never met him before and probably have more kind of similarities than we do um differences um however what i heard in this podcast in on the new subject of just food and nutrition sort of kind of boggled me in terms of um how mixed up it was and how um lost in the current dogmas it was and um i felt like if i get him on the show it's just going to be me trying to argue with him that what he everything that he was saying is wrong um so i'm not trying to argue my point would not be to, to argue or even debate my 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 whole approach as anybody who knows me my whole approach to nutrition is just to find out what is the real um sense and science behind everything in an unbiased approach with the blinkers kind of off and um looking kind of outside the box always and trying to just find out what the honest sort of workings are of food and nutrition so 
with that in mind, I just decided that instead of trying to interview him and kind of argue um, or just, you know, him saying, you know, what him saying what he thinks is right and is good for him and me trying to just kind of counter 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 argue it I'm just going to outline the outline the points here in the interview on the f- subject of food and try and explain from a more of a factual and again non-biased kind of n- no prejudice approach um to to what he has as a pro cyclist with a lot of experience and um a lot of um respect in the peloton i just want to kind of explain and hopefully maybe he (laughs) listens to this and just explain how you can be get things wrong when it comes to food and the messages that are and the information that's out there okay so let's kick it off and see how this works because i'm going to just try and play back through the, the the interview podcast is over an hour long and i'm going to try and go to different sections of it and then explain what i think about it okay so yeah here goes section one and let's see if this uh goes through and then i guess if we want to just sort of skip on to the next thing was what was then your view with uh, a low a low carb high fat high protein diet with performance you know because this was a big phase you know that sort of came in and i think it's drifting away now and it's more drifting into a period where people are understanding how to periodize this diet and use it properly for training and i think it with the whole idea of it and just in just with general media i understand from a few guys around around me and even myself sometimes i miss it and was racing a lot of times under fuel um so when you say uh, low carb high fat high protein is that right yeah yeah so it's almost like a keto keto diet okay uh you know that's just kind of the first the start of their conversation and what i'm just highlighting there is so you heard the first of all the 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 guy who was interviewing mitch started out by saying what do you think of this low carb high protein high fat diet um and the response from adam was oh you're talking about keto okay so straight away um this is the current kind of mix-up that's happening um in the nutrition world is that as soon as you say something low carb or or higher fat immediately it's 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 termed keto so i mean go to most people obviously everyone who's listened to this has got access to the patreon account go and read my recent article called what the f-u-c-k is keto okay it's taken me i've been studying it for the last few years it took me a lot of my own research to kind of break it down as to what it actually is and very simply ketosis is a pathway in the liver for producing ketones and it can happen due to several different um, circumstances one is a very low carbohydrate diet the other is fasting the other is prolonged exercise um so it's it's a natural process it has actually is not what it is not a f- the fat burning process. The fat metabolism process is called beta oxidation. That's a separate pathway that happens in the mitochondria um, for oxidizing fatty acids and turning it into ATP energy. Ketones or keto is got nothing to do with that. Okay, ketosis is pr- is an an an, an additional energy. It's an emergency energy system that happens during periods of stress, whether that be prolonged exercise or fasting or running very low on um, glucose fuel, okay, or glucose supply, let's say. And like we all know, the body is extremely clever, and what it has done is found another way of producing a fuel that primarily the brain can use, because that's what ketones are primarily for, 
there's now research going into showing but I, I still haven't seen clear evidence myself that ketones can be used by the muscle mitochondria and that they are um our preferred fuel they have lots of diff there's lots of different adaptations that are being caused by you being in ketosis or getting um ketones into the mitochondria um but bottom line is this low carb high fat is not keto okay and fat adaptation is not keto and fat adaptation is also not very very low carb okay so i have gone and explained and you know practiced the whole <laughs> the whole thing of fat adaptation i guess is my if, if i'm gonna go down which i probably will everyone goes down it's I, i'm gonna go down hopefully for fat adaptation because that's kind of what i spent the last 10 years looking at and i you know the, i started it if you want to if, we, if we're on cycling terms here I mean, I started implementing it and using it with Steve Cummings when in 2011, maybe, when he was still with Team Sky. I've, I've, I then used it with riders when I was working with BMC. I've used it with loads of individual amateur elite and other pro riders. Started working with guys from Arica Greenage. Obviously, I've met Swain. He's been doing it for years. I've now running a course on it on the Patreon platform. I've written loads of articles for people to explain that I'm not talking about zero carb. I'm not talking about low carb. I'm talking about lower carb. And I'm talking about everything else associated with getting the body's fat burning system, which is called beta oxidation, upregulated to work better. Okay. Um, so straight off the bat, the, the confusion is there and the and the messages are going to be mixed if there's going to be confusion okay okay let's see how this works again um we're going to get into the food because it gets a bit hairy um it gets a bit hairy from here on in so uh let me just skip ahead and see what happens here so you have to remember we have three energy systems we have glycogen we have fat and people always forget we have muscle actually i wanted to just highlight this bit first before we get into the food so uh again the mixed messages three energy systems well again go back and look at my big article writ called energy systems and energy sources so the first energy system is the glycolytic energy system so glycolysis or just like um glucose burning and the aerobic respiration okay aerobic and anaerobic okay so that's converting glucose into ATP system number one system number two is fat burning beta oxidation converting fats into ATP now to go more into the energy systems what you'd have to look at you'd have to be you'd have to understand the biochemistry and you'd have to have a picture of the Krebs cycle in your head for me to kind of go into this a bit more but um First of all, you can um, certain amino acids can enter into the Krebs cycle. Okay, so it's not it's not necessarily a muscle. <laughs> he described it as I think kind of muscle. Uh, he said like carbohydrate, um, fat, and then muscle. It's not necessarily muscle that you're. It's the, you've got an amino acid pool that you can use. Um, it's one of the the kind of let's say after using glucose and after using fats maybe some amino acids come in to the Krebs cycle in times of stress let's say but um it's not an energy system there is another energy system called the Cori cycle and that's the recycling of lactate into glucose um you then like uh, we are debating about can ketones get into the Krebs cycle and produce ATP and ketosis is an energy system because ketosis produces ketones in the liver remember but what we're you know what i'm arguing is i'm not sure how how usable ketones are for energy production in the muscle but let's say that is another energy source and another energy system so that's you know that's four pathways glucose fats key amino acids ketones um actually and then like the recycling of lactate so i'm up to five there um so again wasn't he's not understanding the energy systems correctly f straight off the bat either so again there's there's confusion okay um i'll just keep going here i think there's a bit more i want to explain 
you run out of because what happens is if you burn all your black shish and then you're let's say you're riding at 272 watts so let's say this that's exactly a thousand calories per hour there's no way you can burn 200,000 uh, calories per hour in your body fat so what actually does is if the black shish is depleted it actually breaks down your muscle okay um i was trying to listen to this a few times because I, I i don't know where he got the calculations but it it's an interesting again a misunderstood whole area is um energy consumption during exercise and where the fuel is coming from okay so very quickly what he mentioned is is um if he's riding at about 270 watts uh he's estimating that it's a he's burning about a thousand calories an hour okay now re remember where these figures always come from where is where does a thousand calories an hour come from i mean it, it's, it's it usually comes from the bike computer or some estimate right so the these amounts that we're all burning are not accurate and there's reasons why i mean the your computer does not know exactly how your energy systems and your energy efficiency works okay so there's always some irregularities regarding exactly how much we're burning it's not what the computer says okay but let's just go with the thousand calories for now per hour he somehow kind of came up with um he somehow converted that into two two calories per hour i don't know where he got that from but what i think he was trying to say is if you run out of um, carbohydrate, that there's no way you can get a thousand calories an hour from your fats. Okay, let's just break this down with some proper understanding of how this works. Um, previously, it was always thought that, and this is this just shows you how wrong the actual science can be that you the maximum fat oxidation rates was 1.1 grams per minute okay um and that you couldn't go any higher than that right three years ago i think uh professors finney and volek did the faster study f-a-s-t-e-r okay on endurance athletes on low carb endurance athletes and on high carb endurance athletes okay they had them running three hours on the treadmill as part of the exercise protocol. In many of the low carb athletes, which were fat adapted athletes, they were burning up to at maximum fat oxidation rates of 1.8 grams per minute, okay? And that equates to, let's just call it, you know, for, <laughs> for ease of conversion, two grams per minute, you're, um, you know you're up to say that's 120 grams an hour okay let's just call it 100 grams an hour of fats that is 900 calories an hour okay that's your maximum fat oxidation rate okay now so you know if you can ride at what your kind of if your maximum fat burning zone is like what he said to 70 watts and and 900 calories is coming from fat so then you only need you know 20 25 grams of of carbohydrate per hour to fuel that to fuel that ride there's also more proof that this is true i mean there's a guy called daniel plues who won the um amateur cone world championships in kona last year in eight hours 24 minutes okay he beat most of the pros and he has measured and if him and tested himself for his max maximum fat oxidation rate and i think if i remember he was about he got up to something like 270 watts himself um while being in more or less full fat burning mode okay so that would be kind of like average that's average can't remember what he what what adam referred to 272 watts as being was it as his average power during a race or something like that um where he you can be almost in full fat burning mode and a guy like daniel plues is okay all right let's keep going here and i'll just finish off um 
Yeah, so the whole idea that we know we run out of fuel um, unless we like keep stuffing ourselves with carbohydrates is it's just logistically almost, um, but technically it's wrong. Okay, it's like anyone who is a prop, like a good athlete and a long term endurance athlete, regardless of their nutrition, is going to be you know have a have upregulated or improved their fat burning abilities okay you throw in the nutrition fat adaptation and you start then going up the the up the ladder in terms of how efficient you become at burning fats okay so that most people who are doing any sort of endurance sport whether that be and like like anything over kind of 10k I mean, you know, I can argue that like 5K is, an, is endurance, I guess it is, but still, if you're, most people who are listening to this, if you're a cyclist and you're doing, a, you know, 100K, 120K um, race, you are not in, your, your main fuel that you're burning during that race is not carbohydrates, it's fat, okay? Because like, you cannot be going in zone four and zone five uh, for the race, it's just impossible, right? It's the same with a marathon, you can't be, running at uh you know in the in your sprint at your sprint pace i mean you have to be at in and around your threshold pace okay um so anyone who's doing long distance running or triathlon or ironman or cycling your main fuel is fats and you know true adaptations from training and just and then everything from other strategies for fat adaptation and nutrition you can boost bring that up so that you know you are able to go from 200 watts to 250 to 280 at burning fats okay um and the same with running you can go from running you know eight minute miles to seven minute miles to six minute miles at burning fats if you're train if you train and if you adapt because that's you know that's what everything about everything about fitness is about adapting okay i don't know and for some people for some reason people don't think that um that you know the fuel sources and the energy systems can adapt of course they can bloody adapt just like the body adapts okay right um let's get into the food because uh yeah this starts getting um i start getting kind of moody when i start uh when i start listening to what he says about food but here we go um you do go into ketosis and you your body breaks um, fat into ketones and, and uses as energy um health wise i wouldn't recommend doing ketosis i think it's extremely healthy unhealthy um only because what a lot of people are doing is they're eating, they're, they're adding, let's say, not healthy food into their diets. Because to be, to be on a ketone diet is very difficult. I think the number is 15 grams of carbs and protein, or no, I think it's less than that. Uh, protein is 15 or something. And uh, to get that high amount of fat, a lot of people are going to butter, saturated fat, mm. animal fat, which is not good. Um, oh, I mean, um he starts with um one of my favorite foods is butter um and probably one of the biggest dogmas over the last few years you know i think it was on the front of time magazine new york that butter isn't bad for you i mean so he has started with like i said two of the biggest dogmas that are in nutrition over the last kind of 10 years let's say and that's a saturated fat is bad for you and I guess butter being the the most closely associated saturated fat food okay uh, I mean it's hard to actually go through this in in detail because it's such a long story and that's why there's several books written on this that outline it in detail how this is wrong um, with the various references with the studies um, that indicated that things like butter and um you know and saturated fat are bad for you um you know the studies have been ripped apart um various problems with um biases um with a that okay let me put some kind of structure around this 
back in the 60s, I think it was, early 70s, there was a guy called Ansel Keys. Okay, he did the, f he kind of started the diet heart um, hypothesis, it's called relationship, where, uh, look, you know, looked at um, studies um, and population studies around the world, okay? Um, in terms of saturated fat and heart disease, okay? Now it's well known that uh, there was mixed results of, of the true data, there was mixed results. In other words, some countries showed high saturated fat and low cardiovascular disease. Others showed high cardiovascular disease with high saturated fat intake, okay? But when the actual final kind of results were presented by this guy, Ansel Keyes, he cherry-picked the data and removed all the odd l odd ones and just kept a linear, and uh, kept the results that showed a linear um, approach. In other words, only kept the results that showed as your saturated fat in consumption increases, so does cardiovascular health. Okay, so that was a completely flawed, cherry-picked, uh, finding and that has been proven and anyone who wants to know is like just type Ansel Keys uh, into Google and you'll find out videos and articles and papers written about it okay um, so then um, what then has also happened over the years with all these kind of um, findings are related to diet and heart disease is that they were all what are called epi most of them are epidemiological studies okay that means they base it on just um, observational or and correlate and correlation in other words they study 5,000 people um, in, in a certain country uh, or wherever and they are only rep reporting their intake of saturated fat and then um, measuring then their risks and their rates of heart disease okay and l let's say out of those 5,000 people then that um, you know a few hundred do die then from cardiovascular disease they associate tr you know the association the correlation is made that it was because they had high intakes of saturated fat okay pretty rough way of describing it but hopefully you get it what these observational studies or epidemiological they're called what they completely miss out on is all of the other factors that are probably more related to the person's illness or risk or death than the actual one dietary thing that they asked about remember these are not clinical studies they're just observational ones right so um, they didn't ask the person, do they drink alcohol? They didn't ask them, do they exercise? They didn't ask them, are they, you know, do they live in a polluted area? They didn't ask them um, if they eat Pringles and um, hot dogs. They just asked them about their saturated fat intake, okay? And that goes for most of dietary analysis um, studies are based on these epidemiological okay so you know how much red meat do they eat and what did they die from it must have been the red meat that's how they died not the other several other factors that could have caused the death okay so this is the big issue with them um, you can read a book with all the findings, with all the references, with all the information, called the Big Fat Surprise um, by a US journalist by Nina Techholz, I think her surname is. Um, and all of these things will be, are, are explained. Um, and this guy, Adam Hansen, is an intelligent guy who's been, who has claimed that he has studied and like you know read a lot about nutrition when he obviously hasn't read you know any of these other uh, studies and books related to how wrong um, 
like the kind of dietary information has been over the last 30, 40 years, okay? Okay, so that's saturated fat and butter. Let's kind of move on here and see what happens. Right, so he's he's pretty much you know <laughs> wiping out much of what we can actually eat. So he's talking about this whole um, again one of these dogma um, public news things that have come out over the last few years about cancer causing foods are foods and cancer and carcinogenic. Okay, so red meat is the big one obviously um, that has been called out as being carcinogenic um, just as just for information purposes um, wine I think red wine is carc is a carcinogen one okay so the way he says it is like you know geez shouldn't eat bacon or shouldn't eat red meat because it's carcinogenic carcinogenic one or carcinogen I mean there are six or seven hundred substances declared by the World Health Organization as being carcinogenic. And then there, a lot of them are stuff that everybody's using every day, like aloe vera is a carcinogenic too, I think. The same as bacon. Um, like I said, red wine is carcinogenic one, the same as red meat. Um, so, he, and what actually carcinogenic means and how it's studied and how it's assessed you would need to look into all of that as well because it's again there are you know there's very there's a lot of inconsistencies about how all those things are classed okay um but what i did want to say is that like saturated fat and like the um the association with fat and heart disease very much so the same issue with red meats and process and even processed meats okay all of the studies that have come out from the world health organization they are epidemiologically epidemiological studies i mean you're talking about most of them there are very few clinical studies done on red meats and and their cause of cancer very few i mean you're talking in this particular world world health organization study that had 800 epidemiological studies and six clinical studies of those six three were human and three were rodents not rice or, or rats so you know you just when you start looking at this kind of evidence you start really being able to dig through the trash basically okay and there is a very good um review of the red meat and cancer scare let's call it by a um doctor called georgia ead uh, ede um i think she's actually a doctor of psychology but you can type in red meat cancer and her name and an excellent thorough review will come up of how all this red meat cancer association where it came from how it's not based on any actual scientific clinical evidence it's based on again the association and correlation studies where they just interview thousands thousands of people and ask them about the red meat and then um, assess the rates of cancer and in particular colon cancer okay so just red meats nothing else no smoking no alcohol no no lifestyle health um, parameters are measured just the red meat and, ju and and the colon cancer rates okay so in other words these findings are 
ju- they're just it's kind of a case of you cannot actually take anything from them okay because they're so um in the air okay um so redmi first of all obviously comes in various different forms um there is not one study ever done on good let's call it grass-fed or naturally reared or just not factory farmed meats from your local butcher there is not one study in the world done on people who eat that and their rates of colon cancer we do not have one study in the world to um to kind of to talk about okay um even all the processed meat study uh, studies and findings are all predominantly based on observational correlation epidemiological studies okay even the the processed you know hot dog burger salami type meats still we do not have clinical evidence to show that they are a cause of cancer now any healthy person is going to say that you're probably better off not eating those foods okay and just eat natural um you know non-factory farm meats i mean that's that's a that's a kind of a given right um and on that topic then of whether meats are good for you and or bad for you i mean again i have written a recent article on how to win a debate against a ve- uh, how to win an honest debate against a vegetarian or a vegan um and it just shows you of what you're lacking when you don't have these in particular animal foods but but when you don't have these foods in your diet what you lack okay um and i've gone through that quite in detail in that article everything from you know the type of protein the hemoglobin iron the um you know the dha essential fat from fish that you don't cannot get really from you know plant foods or nuts and seeds and stuff um the nutrient content of meats um compared to plant foods okay the nutrient density is much higher right um so that's the red meat thing and the curse and the carcinogenic thing and the cancer thing and the whole issue of where all this is actually coming from okay um yeah i think uh, i'm gonna play it in a second but i think there was even you know he even discusses and mentions how these kind of meats are just as bad for you as smoking okay or smoking tobacco and this was just one of these sensational headlines that came out a few years ago and again to really understand where it comes from you and again how it came out you'd have to look at the review studies and and the risk scores and how they kind of um, measured and made made this association or correlation between red meat and cancer and tobacco and cancer again it's it's you know you'd have when you actually see it it's so manipulated in terms of how this uh how the statistics are actually manipulated okay um i think you can i mean i think it's on pubmed i think there has been a rebuttal of that statement by actually by groups of doctors by even even i think some of the um you know the diet diet dietary associations have actually revoked it and uh, um i think there's either article review studies or um i can't remember exactly what there are but there's been groups of doctors and dietitians that have actually um torn apart that tobacco association okay um all right we're on yeah go to 20 just over 22 minutes and we'll see what else he comes out with um let's go 
is um, definitely not good. So now in America, the number one cause of death is um, cardiovascular disease. Mm. And this is highly related to the fats we're eating. So when you're going back to... Okay, so I don't know if you heard there, but um, he even doesn't like coconut oil because there's saturated fat in it. Um, and then the major cause of cardiovascular disease is saturated fat. That is the most completely incorrect thing that I think he says in this whole interview. Because if you do any PubMed search and type in saturated fat and heart disease, you will see massive meta-analysis studies showing that there is no direct correlation between saturated fat intake and um, heart disease. Th I mean, there this there are huge um, meta-analysis where they group together, you know, hundreds of studies, um, and there you know there is not one. Uh, Actually, no, I won't say that because there probably is. But of of the hundreds of studies, they've they've concluded that there is no correlation. Okay. Now, I mean, I, I don't have a memory for going reading out every paper and every statistic for all these things. So again, all I will say is, um, there are, you know, really good books written about all of this, like the Big Fat Surprise. There are doctors have written books on this, the cholesterol on you know the cholesterol myth or the cholesterol controversy. Um, a very you know current doctors are coming out against the whole saturated fat and the cholesterol um, hypothesis. Let's call it. I mean, there's a doctor in the UK. He's a cardiologist, Asim Malhotra, and he actually has a paper. Um, a 2017 paper stating that saturated fat um, does not clog arteries and that um, heart disease is more an inflammatory condition and has nothing to do with saturated fat okay this is a cardiologist who's coming out with this um, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition again a massive meta-analysis 21 studies um, thousands of um, subjects and again no association between saturated fat and heart disease Int very interesting studies like uh, one in Sweden where they actually um, just just now again just looked at butter consumption and showed that um, those with an increased butter intake had a decrease in their cardiovascular disease now that again is another epidemiological study so I can't really um, you know claim that let's say um, what else do we have? Well, there is one quite interesting random controlled trial intervention study where they did actually make a dietary intervention. Um, it was a two-year study on, uh, on people on a low-carb, high-fat nutrition diet, okay? And they had no increased risk of arteri arterial sclerosis. So that was two years of eating low-carb, high-fat, okay? um so where i mean to come out with that statement you would really have to be um almost kind of brainwashed into just believing that and um again this is an intelligent guy who's been kind you know he's been a pro for i don't know it must be close to 20 years now and obviously when you're a pro cyclist you're in the world of nutrition a lot and I'm just very surprised at what he's coming out with. Okay, um, let's just keep this going and see what else he says. Uh, the diet of um, the high fat, but it, it's it's just really not healthy. <laughs> it's really not healthy. Even and you're thinking, is this a generic sort of butter we're talking about, and or are we talking about just in general? Are you are you and also in general with the meats and the eggs and stuff, is there a different sort of perception on free range and you know grass-fed stuff, or is this in general? Is this just a bit of a hoax? Yeah, well, um, I forgot the number off the top of my head. 
um, but free range in America means something like a two meter square window mm -hmm. in a hundred meter square wall. Um, there's really no such thing as free range, and even still, um, eggs are uh, the it's full of cholesterol, which is not good. I think it's two hundred twenty-five. Okay, on to eggs. Um, they're full of cholesterol, and that causes heart disease again just like the saturated fat and just like the butter there is no evidence to show that your dietary intake of cholesterol be it from any food but they there is no evidence to show that what you eat raises your blood cholesterol levels okay and that the body actually self-regulates your own cholesterol levels because we can your liver can produce cholesterol so that when you're eating cholesterol on a regular basis let's say you're eating eggs every day your body's internal mechanism let's say your liver production of, of cholesterol will decrease to balance your overall cholesterol levels um, and cholesterol is not the cause of heart disease which is another long-term dogma with loads of studies and loads of information on it now to prove that cholesterol is not the root cause of heart disease okay so <laughs> whatever about cholesterol eggs and dietary um, foods containing cholesterol are not associated in any way with your internal or blood cholesterol levels okay um this is kind of going on but I'm gonna keep going and try and finish it off right I'm just gonna show you very quickly um, how he kind of got this information right or how he got this thinking because he talks about it here in around 26 minutes so what were you eating at this point veg or well, i was eating um yeah veg and eggs and then i read some bad things about eggs and then um and for me it was more like okay i just want to be healthier yeah. and see if this improves and then uh, i looked at some i don't have to think what the hell Okay, so there you go. Type, if you have Netflix, watch What the Health. Watch it, and hopefully you will be kind of shocked with the propaganda that's in it. Um, then if you want to do any kind of, of your own research on it, type in What the Health reviews or What the Health controversy, and you will see a breakdown from various doctors and other experts who kind of pulled apart what the health and how wrong and incorrect what they're saying regarding eggs and red meat and fats uh, what what is or was okay um right uh, another dogma here that I'm gonna try and uh, get to but um I don't know like I said uh, it's like he just watched what the health and believed every single word that they said and th is basing all of his information and knowledge on that one documentary and here's uh here's another thing that i'm gonna just clear up actually what i wanted to talk about very quickly was the interviewer Mitch I could tell kind of knew a bit more than what Adam knew and kind of knew you know hold on there must be what you're saying here has definitely got you know arguments against it and one of the things that he came out with was that aren't you know um, mammals herbivore mammals that have loads of muscle like cattle like a cow um, haven't they got different digestive systems that allows them to live off grasses and the answer is is of course they do um, they have a completely different digestive system called a rumnant digestive system where they have four different compartments to their stomach with completely different microflora or gut bacteria completely different levels of acid completely different enzymes that allow them to convert grass into amino acids and into fatty acids the human digestive system cannot do that and it is not designed to do that 
Um, so, you know, there's two things from uh, in terms of what you see a herbivore doing um, that is very different to us. One is they have to munch and to get the volume of amino acids to get all the conversion uh, done, they need to eat a lot. They need to eat a massive volume. Hence, why you see cows, you know, what they do is they either they're either asleep or else they're chewing grass. Okay. Um, we don't do that. We, you know, most of us were eating intermittently. Um, and then the second thing that's massively different to how we're how we're designed is that we do not have a ruminant digestive system that allows us to process fi- uh, grasses or plant foods in that way. Okay. Right. Let's just keep it going here. And when we consume meat, we go. We have too much acid into our blood. Into our system. And when we have too much acid. We draw. We have to. Our body balances it with the pH, and we draw the alkaline from the bones. And we, that's and when you look at um, the higher consumer countries that are eating red meat, have the highest amount of osteoporosis. Yeah, right. So there's a, a huge uh, correlation there. Um, Where so are these places? Oh, it's all all Western societies. Yeah, right. So, okay. Um, I used to believe in the acid base um, kind of dietary recommendations. Okay. Um, like a lot of things, like butter, like saturated fat, like eggs. Recently, this whole acid-base um, alkaline diet has been um, has been shown to be kind of false, right? Um, and again, there's big studies behind showing how this is false. You know, one is the association or correlation studies, where they've shown that um, those who have high meat intakes or even high acid forming food intakes it doesn't correlate with um, increased osteoporosis okay um, what they've also shown is that there's you know in terms of <laughs> the measures and stuff of pH values um, is that you know some people are doing measuring ph of their urine and that is not does not correlate that does not equal what the ph of the blood is uh the ph of the urine will be will, will be very high in as um high acid containing or a lower ph due to the fact that the body can self-regulate its blood ph by excreting acid okay it can also in the kidneys can self can regulate your pH by producing and releasing bicarbonate, and even through breathing carbon dioxide, you are actually uh, b- helping balance the pH level or I- increase um, or reduce the inc- the acidity depending on what you've eaten. So again, um, no no research to prove that um and in terms of the actual function of the body um there's no relationship between um you know somebody who's eating a lot of meat and their bone health okay in fact what 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 they have been shown is like is you know low collagen and um lower amounts collagen is what causes what is what can causes uh, what's linked to osteoporosis and collagen comes from meats and protein okay um i think there was even an intervention study a clinical one uh, but i can't remember i don't have it written down here but again look up alkaline diet acid base again just do a google search on the material and the articles and the review studies on all that and it will show you that it is a bogus claim okay right i'm gonna have to try and uh, get to the end of this somehow but the mixed messages the the dogma is massive and the mixed messages then become very confusing because some of the stuff i uh, he says towards the end of the interview are completely in the same um 
let's call it in the same box as as i would be uh, he talks about fasting he talks about fat metabolism he talks about fat adaptation he talks about we shouldn't be really needing to eat all the time um an interesting thing of what he says about why he thinks you know his current plant-based no animal food diet works uh, i'll get to that now and just let you listen to what he says about why he thinks it might work um Okay, let's go. You told yourself you felt better and then you saw the results and this is proof. Or you actually genuinely woke up and went, I'm actually feeling better and better every day. Um, Hard to tell. No, I did feel better. But I'm, let me say, I've been doing so much research on nutrition last year. It could be, it could be a placebo effect because so he's been doing a lot of research, but I don't know what he's been looking at because he's missed pretty much all the elephants in the room. But then he says it could be why he's feeling good is placebo. I mean, in other words, when you believe in something, you can actually feel good on it, even if it's not that you know not that good for you. Um, so at least he's admitting that. A um, couple of other things then he talks about that are just I don't know. As I said some stuff actually i agree with um if he he goes about he goes quite um into his fasting but maybe we'll listen to what he says i can imagine so yeah it's very hard to do that before the race obviously just crunch on a whole beetroot unroasted important um Okay, we'll go off the topic just a little. <laughs> so if you do intermittent fasting, it's really good for your fat, fat metabolism, which we spoke about before. Um, and if you prolong it, you go into autopathy. So there he's saying, you know, he talks about intermittent fasting. He talks about doing long rides on nothing. And he talks about um, improving fat metabolism. And he talks about, well, I don't pronounce it the same. I, ta- I pronounce it autophagy which is basically the cellular kind of clean cleanse that happens when you go for, you know, I think it's longer than some, you know, 15, 16 hours maybe. Some people say it's longer than 12 hours. Other people say it's 24 hours. But generally, let's say you go for, you miss one or two meals, your body goes into a self-cleanse. So he's into that. And, there, you know, he's actually into his health, which is ironic. Um. Okay, let's kind of wrap this up and see if we can kind of finish somewhere. Uh, let's go to this and see what I have written down a time but I don't know why I wrote down the time so let's see what they say here what you don't want to do is just putting crap into it so that's why I've really stayed away from processed food um, animal all animal products at the moment because of the hormones, the antibiotics the IGF-1, things like this Um, I'm I'm also in this book I've (coughs) read things like the process of how food has been delivered like small things like what we don't realize is you know when we consume fat um it goes it doesn't go first it goes into our lymphatic system Mm. and then goes through our heart and then it goes into our liver where everything else gets broken down right and gets filtered first wow through your heart yeah so okay i guess i'll finish with one of the probably the most stupid thing he says in the whole whole interview that when we digest fats they get uh, sent to our through our lymphatic system and then sent through our heart okay that is complete made up fiction um yes we do the fats are not water soluble so they don't go directly into the blood they'll go into the lymphatic system where there's broken down into very 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 small what are called micelles they then can get transferred into the circulatory system into your veins they don't go into your heart they do go into the blood system but they don't just they don't just you know they don't get pumped and stuck to your heart and they go into your from your lymphatic system and it happens actually around the jugular vein around the neck um but anyway that doesn't matter it just means that they just get transferred from the lymphatic system into the um into your circulatory system so that they can be used okay 
Okay, so I think I'll wrap it there, up there, because um, it actually, the more I actually listen to it, the more um, just uh, sad it made me. <laughs> um, so I hope it was clear uh, in terms of my explanations, and I hope I didn't sound like I was, um, you know, making stuff up or um, completely off track. Um, and I hope someday we actually get, I get to meet Adam and I hope I'd love to, you know, explain or chat to him or show him why I don't agree with all the stuff that he said about foods in particular. And it just as a prime, I just want to use it as a prime example of how today you can be misled so easily by listening to kind of people you regard or people you who are even let's say qualified or people who are in higher positions and how um true you know the information is so transferable these days and how easy it is for us to get the wrong information and how easy it is for you to then believe in that wrong information when you are you know most people will probably believe here's the the sad thing most people will probably believe or follow someone like alan hansen what he's doing before they follow me because i'm not as well known as this guy and that's just shows you how wrong um and how poorly misled you can become all right a uh, different kind of podcast but uh wraps up connected athlete number 31 and i'm off um to eat some butter and steak um and cheese okay over and out <laughs>